Rolling, rolling, rolling in the mouthpiece. Rolling, 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 rolling with no Adderall. You know, I'm fucking mentally fucked up, so. Welcome to the mouthpiece. Part one, episode three. Today, we're going to talk about, oh, my WPT final tables, if I can remember them all. And then we're going to talk about, oh, all kinds of bullshit. Then we're going to bring on Mike Sexton, former WPT announcer and current ambassador of Party Poker. You're on the mouth. Welcome to the mouthpiece, and um, today we're going to talk about my WPT runs that I had, since we're going to have a special guest, the guy who was the voice of the WPT for 15 years, Mr. Mike Sexton, so um, we might as well just talk about my WPT runs. So, my first real run was in uh, 2003. Um, They don't even have me up as a cash. I don't know why. Uh, But it was a WPT. I I actually finished ninth. It was the first tournament that Gus Hansen won. Um, I'll never forget it. Uh, He got it all in against... Lee Salem on a ace eight deuce board and Lee Salem had three eights and it came ace and a king and Gus Hansen eliminated Lee Salem and that was like the second WPT we ever had and I got ninth in that event I really never had traction or many chips. I forgot how I went broke. I wanted to look it up, but they don't even have me as the cash for that. So it's kind of disappointing. But uh, my other, my next deep run was um, the WPT Championship in 03-04. That was really interesting. once the World Poker Tour Championship 25,000 buy-in was announced, it basically became a tournament probably bigger to win than the World Series of Poker because the WPT was the new thing. It was televised. This was the 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 top tournament of the World Poker Tour. And if you won the WPT Championship, you were considered the best in the world. So I have I went from in 01 final tabling the World Series to my most of my focus was winning the WPT championship. So I remember going into day four or Five. I'm not quite sure if it was a five-day event or a four-day event. I'm pretty sure it was a five-day event. But I uh, was had started the day with 18 people to go. It was day four, so the final table was day five. 
started started the, the with eighteen people to go with two point three million in chips, and the second place person had a million in chips, and everybody else had about five six hundred thousand, and I was the best player. I was dominating, and I in my mind there was just no way I wasn't going to win this tournament. Um, and I look at back at the certain hands that happen, and this is why I always tell myself I'd never go broke broke with jacks or ace queen again. But in this tournament, it just happened to be a couple hands with jacks, so I raised it up to about I don't know forty or sixty thousand guy in the small blind shoves for 250 and then I call and he has fives he hits a five and I lose about 250 300,000 I'm not quite sure exactly I was actually looking for the write-up but they don't even have it but uh I remember that and uh so now I had about 1.7 1.6 still the next closest player had a million, so really wasn't really stressing that much. So now I am in late position again, about a level or two later, where I raised it to about 80,000. And the same guy in the small blind moved all in, and he did it pretty quick. And I called him again with jacks, and again he had fives. And again, he hit a five, and I was just sitting there in complete and utter disbelief. I've found a way to be brought back to the pack, and um, I maneuvered, I wiggled, and I got myself up to about 1.6 million, which was now about average chips. Lee Salem raised it. And uh, the way he raised it, I just felt like he had ace-king. And I had jacks again. So I decided to just flat. I wanted to play stop and go with him. I didn't want to give him five cards. The flop came down nine, nine, ten. And he moved all in for 800,000. And I just knew he had ace king and I called and he turned over ace king and it comes ace on the turn and now I'm back down to 800,000 and everybody has pretty much moved in front of me so I start the day two to one in chips I could pretty much dominate the table I was able to open I don't know 70 80% of the pots. You got to remember this is 03 and 04 where people, when you got the chips, nobody played back at you. So I was able to pretty much dominate. I turned the 800 back to about 1.2 million, um, which was about an average stack. Uh, and then I started playing really, really tight. Maybe I got to about 1.4, and then I played super duper tight, blinded myself down to about 1.1. I raised Martin Dick Niff, who 
won the tournament. He re-raised me. I felt like he had ace-queen or ace-king, but my image was so tight now, I thought I could move him off of that. Now, remember back then when people four-bet, it was like aces or kings 90% of the time. So it it sounds crazy now. What are you going to move a guy off ace-king? But at the time, you have to understand the situation. So my image was good. I decided to four-bet jam, and he tanked for like two and a half minutes, and he called me with ace-king. I had ace-ten, and that's how I went broke 15th in the WPT championship. That was pretty, pretty depressing. Um, I don't mind my move with the ace-ten. I, I just felt he didn't have aces or kings, and once again, back then, if nobody four bet unless it was aces or kings i mean just they just didn't do it and i hadn't played a hand in about four orbits so i thought i could move him off what i thought was ace king and it was ace king and i was wrong he called me and i went broke but it was pretty disappointing tournament for me because i always wanted to win the wpg championship and i um I haven't played it now. and I played it once in the last six years, and now I think they've made it. If you haven't won in one of the WPT events, you can't even play it. So whatever, it's not that important. But back then, it was pretty important to me. Then we talk about my uh, 04, 05 trip to Aruba. Um, this was a really interesting tournament because I end up getting third me and Lane Flack had all the chips, but the because of the TV schedule, I think the levels at the final tables went up every 30 minutes. So it became kind of a all-in crapshoot type of thing late in the tournament. But me and Lane were like for sure going to finish one or two, it looked like. And we were probably going to, chop it and play for like 20,000 or something. It was like a million for first. Lane had just gotten doubled up by a guy with with uh, Humberto Brennan's nephew, if I'm not make a mistake. And, uh, the guy had two deuces. Lane had ace three suited. The deuces held up and the guy doubled. But me and St- Lane still had all the chips. I opened a bunch of pots and they moved in on me and my chips were kind of dwindling uh, but Lane Lane still had a pretty good chip lead and uh, then came the hand where I limped with queen nine offsuit and the big blind checked now I also want to give you a little background check of this tournament um I was kind of playing this tournament for my life. Now, you've heard the story of the 04 main event where Raymer knocked me out, uh, uh, what crippled me when I made the huge call with the 7-9 of spades after calling a huge re-raise, telling me I know he has ace-jack, and he did have ace-jack when the flop came 10-9 deuce, and I called, but he had diamonds, he had a diamond crippled me and and then I 
kept alive and I got it all in ace king versus ace queen the guy had a queen on the river and I finished like 83rd or 84th of the main event and have you seen on TV I was crying because I knew in three months I was going to jail for something I didn't do so it was very disappointing to me now fast forward to this WBT Aruba tournament I was going to jail in two weeks so I was playing this tournament for my life after playing the World Series for my life and uh, I really needed to win to go um, you know if I was going to go to jail I was going to go with a million bucks in my pocket it had been a lot easier due to the six months so um I limp, queen nine, big blind checks, flop came queen eight five, I bet let out small, the guy in the big blind moved all in, I studied for a while, and I said, I know I got you, and I called, he had eight six offsuit, came three on the turn, six on the river, and I go out third. If I win that hand, me and Lane are dead even in chips head up. And uh, who knows, everything in my life probably would have been different because, you know, I've told the story of this tournament many a times where I got 250000 and um, Howard asked me to give him the money and he'll give me 1% of full tilt. Now, they were selling 1% of full tilt at the time for 400000 Uh, But he told me to keep 50 for bills and give him 200 because I was a big name, I guess, and good for the company. And he'll give me 1%. We'll get into that story of how I took, didn't give him the 200 I took the money. I put it in a sports betting account so I could bet while I was in jail lost it and um and uh, that cost me about four million but we'll get into that on a later uh a later uh, episode I, it's pretty interesting i like to tell a story about the 0405 wbt aruba tournament and uh how if the six don't come on the river i end up with probably eight hundred thousand apiece. piece i take 50 and put it for bills and then I give the rest to Howard where I get like two or three percent which would have been about 12 million this is before all the fucking shit happened but just to give you an idea how one card changes so many people's lives and uh, why would I ever take the 200,000 and take one percent of full tilt when I could put it in a sports betting account and blow it which is what I did but that's what I was known for in my life so that was the old four uh uh, WBT Aruba. Um, there was um, an invitation only uh, tournament where I got second to Tony G. Uh, I was another chance of winning a title, but um, I trapped Tony G with two kings. Every time I limped, he'd move in. I was purposely doing it just to set him up. So. I limp with two kings, he moved in, I snap called, he has 10-8, the flop came 10-8, and I finished second in that World Poker Tour event. So, uh, as you see, I was a little bit, pretty snake bit in these WPTs, but I kept, uh, you know, chugging along. I then go fast forward to the 
WPT, um, which I finished second to Kevin Saul uh, for 671000 Now, um, this term was interesting because I always prided myself on playing real good in the main event at the World Series, and I played so bad. It was only the second time I got knocked out of the World Series main event. I think I talked about that on my last podcast uh, about World Series. As a matter of fact, I know I did. So I decided I was going to punish myself after six weeks of grinding by playing the Bellagio Cup across the street. I said, I'm going to put my head down, put my everything I got into this tournament. Um, on, I think it was day three, I was super short. Uh, I think it was Oppenheim opened uh, for like pretty big and I he moved all in I flat call the all in and the guy behind with picked up two queens and he moved all in I ended up getting a big triple up which got me some chips I got to about a million and then with about 13 players left guy raised I re-raised small with aces he had ace king and he moved in I called or actually called my re-raise and I knew he had an ace king and the flop came king eight deuce and I bet small he raised I moved all and he called and I doubled up huge which gave me a big stack going to the final table I ended up head up against Kevin Saul uh, Kevin had led the tournament from wire to wire, like all five days. But I, um, I was giving him the ability, making him think he could just raise every pot and run me over. So I was letting him run me over, run me over, run me over. I'd fold about ten in a row, and then he'd raise. I'd re-raise. He'd call. I'd move in. He'd fold and. To make a long story short, he, he won about 85% of the chips, of the pots, but I was like dead even in chips from when we started. Now, he's, he started with about a two-to-one chip lead on me, or three-to-one. Uh, maybe, maybe it was even four-to-one. So uh, he raised, this is the hand that he won the tournament on. I, had, I started the hand with like 2.3 million, and... Uh, I think he started the hand with uh, with like eight million. If I won the hand, we were gonna be dead even in chips. So um, uh, he raised, I flatted with seven, eight of clubs. The flop came, uh, I think we were playing 40, 80,000 limit at the time. The flop came uh, five, six of clubs. I checked, he bet. I raised, he moved all in, I called, and I'll never forget, he looks up and like, he goes, kisses his cards and he says, I wish my friend was here to see me win this. And I looked him right in the eye and I said, hey Kevin, do you you really think that I just put 2.3 million chips in and you have the best hand? 
and now all of a sudden he kind of like went into a panic mode because he had already tabled his two queens. I turn over seven, eight of clubs were on the favorite. And uh, now all of a sudden his demeanor changes. And of course I break off. He wins the tournament and uh, I am a runner up again at the WPT. Uh, but I'll never forget when he was so excited that when he, when he four betted all in with Queens, like tabled those Queens, like I was some fucking sucker that just like hadn't put a chip in the fucking pot head up for an hour. And now I put all my money in and he thinks like two Queens were the best hand. But anyways, that was that tournament. That was, that was pretty disappointing, but. You know, I was pretty proud of myself because I punished myself for playing bad in the main event and really played five great days of poker. I would probably say to this day that was the best World Poker Tour event I ever played. Even when I got short, I played the short stack great. I gave myself a chance to win. Um, it, I think it really was the best World Poker Tour event I ever played, but... I you know I was on a, I had a purpose because I fucked up in the World Series main event and when I play with a purpose I'm very tough to beat. Uh, in the '04 World Series I played with a purpose, knowing I was going to jail. That's why it hurt so bad when Raymer hit that diamond. Same with the Aruba tournament where I played with a purpose. Uh, it sounds crazy, but there's a big difference between like playing a World Poker Tour event. You know, I'm just saying, okay, let's go play the WPT Borgata or the WPT Aruba, whatever, and just playing or actually going there and telling yourself I'm playing for with a purpose. Um, that's a whole different thing. I wish I could literally, whenever I sign up for a World Poker Tour event, I could put my head down and say, I gotta win, I gotta win, I'm playing for with a purpose. Because when you truly have that deep focus and you're playing for something, it just, it brings you to a whole new level, which kind of was that tournament. Um, I kind of fast forward. Now, in 07, 08, that tournament was like the first like WPT I started playing really tight, as people don't really realize um, from, 1999 through 2005 I was the most aggressive player in poker I mean you just ask anybody I was just you I was I was relentless and then one card runners taught everybody bet sizing in 06 and all of a sudden you couldn't run over people anymore because you I've told this story before I used to know what people have by the way they put their chips in and uh and how they size their bets so once that was gone i i knew i had to start playing tight and it took everybody um a couple years to realize that uh i'm not crazy mike anymore i'm tight mike and i made uh four wbt final tables in the next uh, in 07 08 and 09 the mouthpiece. Now it's my favorite part of the show where we take your phone calls here on the mouthpiece. 
Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. Oh, what's up, Mike? How you doing, man? Good, man. Who's this? This is Tweezer Reraise off Twitter. I just read your tweet that you're accepting calls, so I wanted to give you a call. Yeah, what's, a, uh, what's going on, man? Well, first, let me say one thing. I've read your book, Check Raising the Devil, twice, and it'll probably be a third time. That book is probably one of the most interesting reads. I couldn't set that book down for a second. Sure. Um, one of the reasons I was drawn to online originally um, was simply I felt the more, and obviously looking back on this, I think we can both laugh, but uh, looking back on it, I thought it was more just better financially due to just the ease of being able to play tournaments at a lower price. Right. And through this is I guess my question is as a person that is trying to get more into live poker, mm -hmm. is there, do you feel there are any more advantageous situations in the realm for just a more recreational player looking to break in? Is there any certain you know, games or things you'd recommend? There, there's so many tournaments everywhere now, the small buy-ins, $100 buy-ins, $150 buy-ins. Um, the thing about like when online tournaments is, you know, because you get so many hands and the, the, lim the levels go up like every, I think, 15 or 20 minutes. So... You had you had to do a lot of three betting and four betting with you know kind of dark you know like and hoping they fold and um, now you know and when you watch live people you know uh, it took a while for the online people to adjust knowing that you, know, you can't just be three betting and four betting just because you are because people could see if you're weak or not in a live, in a live setting. Uh, and they've made those adjustments now, but I do people. I say it all the time. You know, online poker was not meant to play for high stakes. It was meant for people like you that, um, mm -hmm. like, whether you're in the middle of the country or places where they don't have a poker room, and you just want to play cheap tournaments or cheap poker for recreational. And um, it's uh, it ended up turning into you know this people playing for these crazy high limits online, which I never was that for, anyways. So I understand what you're talking about, and it kind of sucks for you. And I hope I hope that online does come back for you, and, and you'll be able to play a lot more. So, well, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it, and best of luck this summer, man. You, I appreciate that. You, you got taking it. That call. And uh, enjoy, enjoy. You've listened to my podcast. I hope, and I hope you enjoy them. And uh, take care. Thanks for calling, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Take you're care. Well. Take care. Bye. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. Yes, Mike, I have a question. Approximately how much cocaine have you snorted in your entire life? That's, uh, I really haven't snorted that much cocaine. I mean, I did a lot of ecstasy this pills. This is not Mike Monastow. I did this a lot of ecstasy pills, but cocaine, let's see. I will say I've probably snorted, This is, I'll be honest, maybe 25 eight balls, 30. That's, oh, that's not much at all. No, but I did a lot. I did a lot of ecstasy tabs. This is not Mike Madison. A lot. Yes, it is. A lot. How do you know Brandon Reimer? How do I know who? Brandon Reimer. I don't know him. Is that is that who just called me? Hello, hello, hello. Brandon. Brandon. You got another question for me? That, that was funny. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. 
What's up, Mike? It's Keith. Keith, what's, what's going, going on, on, man? Where are you from? Uh, I'm actually from New Jersey, but I live here in Las Vegas. Oh, cool. That's awesome. What's going on? No, so I actually uh, had two questions for you. Sure. Um, I do have your book. I got your book a while ago and read that about two years ago. Okay. Uh, you like Jeff it? Grazing the Devil. Yeah, it was really good, actually. Cool. Um, so I had two two questions, I guess. One from the book and then one other question. Okay. Um, so when you had gotten locked up and you went to jail, you had mm-hmm. gotten set up. Mm-hmm. Um, did you play poker when you were in jail? I, I played a game called Casino. I don't know if you know what that is. And mm-hmm. um, we played... Uh, spades also and um we played for commissary money and uh i took everybody's commissary every week (laughs) and i literally whatever i beat them out of in commissary i gave to all the nice um african-american friends i had and all the the uh whoever my close bunk mates were and i Mm -hmm. you know they had they didn't really have much so i always they loved me. I always gave them ha- all the commissary that I won playing c- cards. And uh, I would get like $90 in commissary twice a week. And I would always share it with them. So when I was in jail, like if anybody even got close to me, they would fucking get the shit kicked out of them. So yeah, I was really loved when I was in jail. The people were like, one one guy fuck with me and this big guy was i mean this guy was like 350 six foot four he beat the shit out of this guy just for like talking shit to me and he ended up going to the <laughs> hole nobody fuck with me i mean they love me you know plus i was a celebrity that's, and shit so that's pretty crazy yeah uh the, the the second question i had was um how do you feel about like the new style and approach to poker using like solvers and obviously like all the math and advanced concepts are, have been expanded on, you know, like Phil Gordon stuff is obviously like that's been expanded on now. Um, you know, guys like uh, Fedor and Haxton pretty much have the game figured out or solved. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that approach to poker compared to the old school style of poker? Well, uh, the, no truth, the truth of the matter is that's like a couple people and they mostly play high rollers. So, it really doesn't really affect anything as far as the regular tournaments and stuff because you're dealing with mostly, you know, uh, regular poker players, amateurs, a lot of... I mean, I played the LAPC a month ago. Um, the levels were hour first day, then 90 minutes second day, then two hours day three and four, and I was playing so deep, and I I felt I was the best player at the table, and... I saw. I felt. I played with two people. I thought were as good as me or or better, and I hadn't played a no limit tournament in two years. And I don't play any math. I don't. I mean, I play basic math, but I mean, I play. Uh, I, I play by feel. Whether I feel they they got me beat or they don't have me beat, and um, you know, a lot, math kind of goes out the window when you're deep in a poker tournament. It's um, you know, if if you make a call and you're wrong. Even the ma- when the math tells you to make the call, uh, let's just say the math is 5% in your favor or even 6% in your favor or 7 you make the call and you you end up, you don't get there. You're crippled and the tournament's over. So I'm a believer. Me and Phil Helmy kind of play the same style. We're a believer that try and play risk-free poker um, as much as you can. Uh, you know, use your image to maneuver your way through the minefields and uh you know try and uh 
pick up a lot of small pots and uh, wait till you have it to get somebody where a lot of the new people, they just play a lot of more hands and they play the math and then they call yeah. because the math tells them they have to call and then whatever, you know, but I just believe in tournament poker that uh, uh, the math is not as important as it is in cash game. Like I always play the math in cash games because you could rebuy. And so whenever you have five, four, 6%, the best of it, 4% even fuck you, you always take the percentage of, of the best of it because you could rebuy. So um, uh, that's just my opinion. Um, I've been ridiculed by Daniel on other podcasts about how I don't know basic math on poker, which is a joke because he's trying to tell me, well, how many outs does this guy have? And this blocks this and this blocks this. I'm like, buddy, this ain't PLO, man. I don't give a fuck what blocks what. I mean, I'm like, I mean, you just, you, you, guy raises you, you have to guess what does he have? You know what I'm saying? You you you, you should be able to figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been able to figure yeah. it out. I mean, and when I'm wrong, I just go broke. You know, it's, it's all good. The one guy said to me uh, at the end of day one of the wind tournament, he's like, how, how, how in the hell do you have 87,000 chips? I've I never <laughs> even seen you play a pot. And I was just like, uh, well, you know, I've won a couple pots here and there. And the bottom line is, is I, I get talking with them. I, I chit chat with them. I get, make them happy. And, and I become friendly with them. And little by little, I'm stealing little pots, little pots, little pot, picking up lots of little pots. Why, why I'm talking to them. And, and, uh, when you know, you know, you're playing well, when, the guy says that. How do you have 87,000 chips? I haven't even seen you win a pot. Well, when you're playing good and your chip stack is going up, 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 little by little, when you're not risking any chips, that's when you know you're playing well. And that's how I. I do you still get? Do you still get the same enjoyment out of playing poker, considering everything that you've been through, and you know WSOPs and WPTs and traveling and playing? Do you still get the same enjoyment? Well, I don't really travel the tournament circuit. I I go to LA for the LAPC because it's a freeze out, and I'm a really against re-entry tournaments i think it is the absolute death of poker so i go to that one uh i go to the bay 101 because shooting star because they they have 300 people uh starting with 225 that it's satellited in plus 30 shooting stars and by the time all the other players get in the people that satellite it in are probably gonna punt off their stacks so it's a great tournament for me um, and that's it. And I play the World Series, and that's it. And during the World Series, I play, I play one shootout usually, and the main event, and the rest are all mixed games. So I'm one of the best mm-hmm. mixed games player in the world, and I, uh, I love playing mixed game tournaments, big 10k mixed games. So that's what I do at the World Series. I usually play 15 to 20 tournaments, and that's probably I play. That's what I do all year. Yeah. So. Well, cool, man. Thank, thank you for taking you my it. call. I appreciate it. I appreciate you calling in and take thank care. You, Mike. you got it. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. The mouthpiece. If you'd like to take part in our phone call segment, you can give us a call at 702-329-0480. And if you're a snowflake or a pussy and you don't want to talk to me, you can email me at mouthpiecepodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow me at the Mouth Mattiso on Twitter for times that our call-in segment will be live. Welcome to the Mouthpiece. And on the other line, we have our one and only, the 
one and only original poker ambassador, Mr. Mike Sexton. What's going on, my man? Hey, thanks, Mike. Glad to be on the show. And uh, how you been, man? Yeah, I've been pretty good. Uh, just got back from Rio a few days ago where Party Poker had a millions event down there, and I'd never been down to South America, Brazil, or Rio before, so that was unique, but uh, things are good. Yeah, I was down there in 2010. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I bet it was good. I'm glad it all went well for you. But we're going we're gonna to try and take our, our viewers, people that are listening, back to, I don't know, I'll say, was it 1998, 99? When was the original tournament of champions that you created? Uh, the first one was 1999. 1999. So I want everybody to understand the vision that Mike Sexton had for poker before anybody else. And um, you want to explain to everybody how what you what your vision was when you started that first tournament of champions? Yeah, well, I started as a professional poker player in 1977, and I've been playing for like you know 15, 20 years, and I always had a dream to put on an event called the Tournament of Champions of Poker because I wanted to pattern it after the Tournament of Champions of Golf where you had to win a golf tournament during a calendar year to get to play in the Tournament of Champions. I thought that was so cool that golf did that and I wanted to do it for poker. So I had this vision and this dream of putting it together but I wanted the finals to be multi-games. I didn't want it just to be no limit hold'em like every other championship was. This was going to be the, the ultimate test of poker multiple games against all champions to determine the ultimate champion. And that was my dream. And, uh, you know, I put it together and, and uh, I had it planned. And then I started going around the casinos and I realized it was tougher to put on than I thought. And uh, because they're not used to working with an outside person like that, where the reputation's at stake and if something happens to it or I skip out with the money or something. Right. Uh, you, you know, the reputation is damaged saying they were going to hold it kind of thing. So I went to all the big casinos, and uh, I started with Lyle Berman Stratosphere first, and then went to Bobby Baldwin, and he loved it, but he didn't do it. And then I went to the Commerce Casino. I went to all the biggies, and they did, all loved the idea, loved the concept, but none of them would do it. What did we end up having it at, the Gold Coast? I'm trying to remember. It was at, no, it was at the Orleans. The Orleans, yeah, yeah I knew it was one of the coasts. At that particular time, if you remember, the Orleans held the largest event in terms of number of players of any tournament yes, in the country at that time. I do. They, they had a thousand players in some of their tournaments. So at the end of their summer festival, uh, they agreed to tack on the tournament of champions. And we put it on there at the Orleans and I held it there for three years. And truthfully, and I'm not saying it just cause I put it on, you played in it. Yeah. And you just ask anybody that played in that tournament. And I believe you know, most of them would say that was the coolest tournament ever. It was. We marched, we marched people in like the Olympic Games, yep. country flags. We had music. I had a side ballroom next to the, the tournament area uh, where we had posters and, and banners of all the great players in the casinos that are participating. And I had a band and music every night, dinner. And it was just a real festival. And It was amazing. It was just a really, truly a fantastic event that I was so proud of. And, and uh uh, you know, I had about twice as many players with the first year we had it uh, in my event as they had in the main event of the World Series of Poker. So it was really a huge event that first year and second year, two and third year. But uh, sadly, I never made money with the tournament. I lost money every year, but it obviously led me to good things because it I did. got the job with 
party poker because of that, as well as the World Poker Tour. So for me personally, it worked out good, but it still breaks my heart that the Tournament of Champions sort of went away because I truly believe it was the greatest event in poker. I, I agree, and, I, and I, I've been saying it for years now that um, the World Series of Poker should bring back the Tournament of Champions uh, in, a, in a different type of way where um, – you everybody that wins a bracelet during that year, we play the game that they won in a dealer's choice mix, and then they play like if there's seventy bracelet winners, seventy people play. Well, probably be about forty, like twenty different games because uh, most of it is no limit hold'em. But then everybody gets a chance to uh, to play their best game and the best. O- that plays all yeah. the games would, would now, get right. a, yeah. now as you know uh my last tournament of champions event i did it for three years was in 2001 and in 2005 the world series of poker did have a tournament of champions yeah and they had come to me and asked me if it was okay if they use that name at all and i thought that was nice of them to do and i said sure and it turns out you won that event for a million dollars yep and then in 2006 uh party poker sponsored the event they put up two million uh for the tournament and the winner got a million, and the other million was chopped up with the other players. And uh, it came down to the three of us. It came down to me and you and Daniel Negrano, the Correct. defending champion, and me and Daniel Negrano, the final three. And I was fortunate enough to come out on top. And uh, so I won that tournament champion and got a million dollars for that. That was yeah. pretty cool. And, and uh, so, and let's but, let, uh, let's talk about that for a minute because I I want to talk about that event that. Uh, the call you made against me that propelled you to win that event, which a lot of people out there don't really know. But if you go and look back at the video of the 2006 Tournament of Champions, like I was like the defending champion, I was looking to be the first person to win a million dollars and defend a million dollar tournament in back-to-back years. And um, it was a hand where I limped the King Four of Hearts on the button and then I flopped the flush draw. I got a little tricky with it, and um, you called me with bottom pair, and the rest is history. Uh, well, let's take you. Do you yeah, remember that true. hand? People can go to YouTube. I, we've got a lot of hits on that hand, watching that hand. And, and honestly, you know, truthfully, I mean, because Daniel said, oh, he got you, he got you, and you said, okay, and you started bowing down. And, and anyway, but in my opinion, honestly, it didn't seem like that tough a call to make the way the hand was played. Yeah. And I, I say that because the flops come queen, nine, three, and uh, Daniel checked first, and I checked second, and you checked on the button. And right. the flop wasn't raised pre-flop. Right. And now an ace comes on the turn. And, again, it goes check, check to you, and now you bet 40000 or 60000 right. I forget. And I called it. And yep. then on the turn, a jack comes off. On the river, you mean. And now... I checked, and now you bet again, and I paid you off with two threes because in my mind, uh, I, I didn't put you on queens or nines or you to bet the, the flop. Right. And, or, and I didn't put you on an ace. You didn't raise pre-flop. Right. So in my mind, you either made a straight or you made nothing. So right. I thought you would check it down uh, with, with jacks if you'd have made a pair of jacks on the end. So yeah. I thought you had a straight or nothing, and I called you with the two threes, and, and, and I won the fight with it. But everywhere I go, people just rave about that hand. Like, you can't even imagine... They all talk about that hand, and truthfully, honestly, you know, it just didn't seem like that tough a call to me at that particular time, the way the hand was played. I, I agree. Flop, 
I should have bet the flop, but I got a little tricky right. because I wanted, uh, I don't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> really, I, I yeah. my plan was to like, to like, check it, and then somebody bet the turn, and then I was going to raise it, and I try. I was all, I had all these plans, and then when they checked it to me again, I was just like, well, now I'm going to bet this thing, and. Uh, yeah. you I know, didn't put you on an ace, but you didn't raise three flop three. Right. I didn't think you had. And but so I, told, I told you there. I told them you could have made a straight. You could have had King Ten in my mind, or you could have had ten eight right. or something like that. I, I mean, I usually thought you could have had that, but uh, I thought it was worth telling you a two three, and it turns out it was. And and it, just the way you reacted and Dan, you reacted, that's what made that hand so historical right. on YouTube. So. For right. all your listeners, I suggest go watch it. It is fun hand to watch. It, it is. And I told people after I went broke and you were head up against Daniel, I I told everybody that Mike Sexton's going to win. You were really, really focused. You were locked in. Um, Daniel was a little too splashy, and I just felt that you were just going to win. And I, I told everybody and, and you ended up winning. And I think, yeah, it took me seven hours. We played seven hours. Right. Heads up. So I think Daniel wore like down a, a little I mean, bit. It was a really tough battle. It was a really tough battle. And, uh, fortunately it just came out my way. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was real happy to see that for you to win that. And if yeah, I it was really good. And, uh, uh, because, you know, you have to qualify where you're either a world champion or you make the final table the year before, or you win all these circuit events or something even get qualified to get in this tournament right. but because party poker sponsored the event uh i was their ambassador so uh they got one person they could put in the event and they put me in obviously right. and before the tournament started i said i'm donating half of whatever i win to charity so uh, fortunately uh five hundred thousand i could donate to five different charities gave a hundred thousand apiece that's great uh, to like wounded warriors and special olympics and and the paralyzed veterans of america and all so it was really fun for everybody and uh uh, it's truly a great memory for me. Yeah. Now, uh, I haven't really checked on this, but I'm pretty sure I, it's it's a fact. Though. The World Series this year, they're having like uh, they're kind of bringing back some form of the Tournament of Champions. If you're a bracelet winner or you win a bracelet this year, they have I think it's like eleven hundred dollar buy in for bracelet winners or whoever wins the tournament this year. If I'm not mistaken, have you heard about that or? I'm no, not... I don't. I'm... Yeah, I, I'm not. Uh... You know, I'm not like a Daniel. These guys are playing their World Series that six months in advance, and yeah, uh, say they're going to win 15 brains or cash 15 times and all that. You know. <laughs> well, you know what? If I, I really like, uh, uh, I actually brought it up to Daniel because I thought it was an actual bet, and so I, I really felt he had the best of it. But he said no. So he said uh, he offered it to somebody, and the person turned it down. And I thought, you know, that he would have the best of it because. Uh, it's yeah. so easy to min cash now in these thousand yeah, dollars. Uh, Mike, yeah. as you know, if you're making bets just to cash, you're going to play a lot different than you're playing to win the tournament. You ain't lying. You know? and, and I do think that, you know, if he had a big five million bet or something like that, that he's going to play very differently when it comes near the bubble right. to get in the money uh, and not take chances and try to build up his chips. And uh, you're going to try to win that bet first. So, absolutely, you know, with all the events there are this year, uh, you know, people do it. Uh, you know, I was in shock for years. I was one of the top 10 in caches at the World Series of Poker. I think yeah. now I've dropped down about 25th because there's so many events now and I don't play like all these young guys. Right. But, you know, I went to the stat book and looked up some of the World Series caches. I'm even going to do an article about it. Mm -hmm. And 
there was a guy named Roland Israel Azhev Billy or something. Yeah, Ro- Roland is, is last year. Yeah, he. You um, know? Yeah, you I know, know who he's he is. had forty-five caches in the last three years. Yeah, at the World Series of Poker, and that's, that's incredible to me. And his highest finish ever was ninth, right. but he's just a casher. And right. uh, so uh, he had thirteen caches in twenty seventeen and thirteen caches in twenty sixteen. Now that he's a jeweler from New York City. Yeah. So, I mean, that shows you that it can be done. And, and uh, you know, if you play a lot of events, and I agree with uh, both you and Daniel when you say it's easier to cash in the lower buy-in tournaments because some of them are rebuys, number one. And some of them you can just late-ridge. Well, yeah, he just uh, has to late-ridge. the deadline, and I swear to you, if you double up one time, you're in the money. That's it. You know? late, and, and, and that's another thing where I have a problem with, but that's, uh, you know, uh, if somebody was to make that bet, I was telling Daniel in a text is like, uh, all he has to do is late reg, and if he wins the first hand, he he cashes. And uh, if he doesn't, he goes to the next thousand dollar buy in. And it would have been a stupid bet of whoever would have made that bet with him, you know. But he said it, it, he he ended up not making that bet. The guy yeah. backed out. If I knew he wasn't going to bet anybody else, right? You know, I'd bet him ten thousand so that he wouldn't cash fifteen times. Yeah, ten thousand. Yeah, he's. I bet they don't. You know, where it's not going to affect his play, and he's going to try exactly. To he might get knocked out on the bubble and all that, you know. And, and uh, but if he's betting a lot of people, I wouldn't want to bet him. Yeah. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about all the time you spent at the World Poker Tour and um, what your effect of you being involved had on the on the broadcast and uh, and uh, tell all our viewers why you decided to leave the World Poker Tour and uh, let's uh, just hear from you on this. Well, I love the World Poker Tour from day one, even before it was started. I, I helped get it going with Steve Lipscomb, who created it. Mm-hmm. And I've been the broadcaster from day one for the first 15 years of the World Poker Tour. And I loved every minute of it. And I still love the World Poker Tour. And I still believe it was the very best job in poker. There is not a better job than a commentator on the World Poker Tour, in my opinion. I agree. And I was very blessed with Vince Van Patten all those years because we got along so well and uh, you know, we're, we're just, we're alike in so many ways. And, and you know, he's just such a good friend. And he helped Vince. me a lot early when we started the show out. And uh, so I was just blessed in a lot of ways, A, to get the job, and B, to work with Vince, and C, to last that long. And right. so it was good. So at the end of 15 years, uh, at that particular time, Party Poker Live was starting up where they were starting a Millions Tour, mm-hmm. and they were going to do their own tour. And some of the events conflicted date-wise with the World Poker Tour, et cetera, et cetera. And I was over in England, and Rob Young, the, the guy that created the Party Poker Live Tour, had me sit down with the CEO of Party Poker at that time, right. uh, which, was, which was Tom. And, and so the three of us sat down, and basically it was a five-minute meeting, honestly. I mean, it didn't take any longer than that. Wow. And uh, uh, they just made me a deal I couldn't refuse. But and, it's still, it was hard for you to you leave know, the World Poker Tour, though, yeah, right? So that they, you know, they, they just offered me more money in a four-year contract. With at the end of the four-year contract, I get a nice bonus mm-hmm. where I can retire on it. So, you know, it was just something that the World Poker Tour wasn't going to be able to match. Right. So I called Adam Adam Pliska that night, the CEO, and I said, Adam, I won't be back for season sixteen on the World Poker Tour. I've just been offered a. a, a uh, you know, something I just can't turn down personally right. and for my family and all. And 
he said, Mike, he said, he said, I, I appreciate the call. He said, we hate to lose you. He said, but I'm so happy for you personally. And, you know, then of course, you know, he did say, well, can you just do the TV shows? Can you just do this or that? But, <laughs> but he couldn't have been nicer. It's impossible. The world poker tour could have treated me better when That's I parted company with them. And I left him pretty abruptly, honestly. And I mean, they had a few months, but, but I'm just saying it, it's not like I gave him a year's lead time, right. you know, to find somebody else. And they just promoted Tony right up to my spot. So it worked out for them. But, uh, uh, that's how it came down. Honestly, uh, it was just, you know, and I love party poker. That was my baby. Cause I helped start it. Right. And I've been with him all the time. And then now I'm so happy to see him rebounding and, uh, business has increased like 50% the last each of the last couple of years. And I'm very happy about that. The party poker live tour, it just skyrocketed to the number one tour uh, in terms of guarantees and prize pools, and it's been great to see that. And honestly, I'm just uh, flattered uh, to be a part of it. I love the vision of Party Poker now, but I will always have a special place in my heart for the World Poker Tour. I still love them. I went to the uh, the awards banquet the other night, the Global right. uh, Awards, and I was so happy to see Angelica Hale from the World Poker Tour. Uh, win the industry person of the year and I sat at their table and it was just a, it was very special and uh, I was still flattered that they still accept me in their group and they still consider me family and say I'll always be part of it and I feel that way about them but uh, uh, you know I, I love party poker as well so uh, I've just been very lucky that honestly I've had the two best jobs in poker and uh, uh, you know it's uh, I've just been fortunate so let's just go out on the limb here so you're gonna you're running the you're the what do they call you the head ambassador for party poker now what's your title yeah that's what i am essentially i mean uh they call me the uh what do they call me it's the, uh, well, it's let, the big title of, whatever uh, the chairman of, i'm a chairman of party poker okay chairman of party poker i like that so correct we're gonna get but party I'm not on the board of directors and make those kind of decisions it's just a name in title only, honestly, but it's a good, uh, it's a good title. The chairman, yes. It's a good. It makes you. It makes you seem like like a higher yeah, than you yeah, are. Yeah, it's a nice title. I love the title. So we'll just call it. We'll call you Chairman Mike from now on, and then we'll there you go. and okay, we'll go I with like that. Okay, so let's just. We're gonna say party poker is gonna blow up because Mike Sexton is gonna work his ass off to make it happen. Mike's gonna make a nice little bonus. Is Mike Sexton gonna go back and start betting sports and fuck himself like Mike Madison? No, did? no, I'll tell you, I'm not, Mike. Honestly, uh, you know, I'm not saying I quit completely, but right. I don't bet over a dime anymore or anything. When right. I was betting ten, twenty, fifty thousand a game, crazy stuff. <laughs> hey, and, welcome uh, to the club. But, now, but you know, once you get older, now you know, and I'm over seventy right. now, so you know, Are you really? I know that wow. uh, how lucky I was to get all the money and how lucky I'm gonna be. Have one more chance to get enough to retire on and live a nice life. So I'm not going to screw it up this time. I can promise you that. I, and uh, that's what I want to hear. Because no, I'm, I'm truthfully I'm not. And plus, you know, I have a son now that's ten, and you know, I spend my time all my time with him now. I don't good. ever go down and play poker anymore. You know, I live on my showering. I live on on my retirement money. I still love playing the tournaments, and I love playing the World Series, and I'll do that. But uh, I'm I'm not a grinder anymore like I did for 25 years. And I'm very fortunate that I'm in a position I don't have to do that. That's Every once in a while I might play just for fun, but uh, I literally don't get on the strip once, twice a year, honestly, anymore. Well, and uh, that's uh, kind of kind of good, my goal, good. also. You know, it's just you know I I screwed up. I I lost God 
uh, not as much as you, but I, I lost a lot of money betting sports. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've, I got injured. I've been sick. So it's been real tough on me, but you yeah. know, I t- keep telling myself, you know, I'm going to get myself, I have respect for money again. In other words, there's no chance I could ever bet sports again, like five or 10, 20, 30,000, 50,000 a game ever again. Like I, yeah. I bet, I bet 500 on this national championship game. I made a bet and I couldn't tell you how long and I got fortunate to win, but, uh, it was, uh, you know, I just thought it was their year. Um, but I'm not going to go jump. And I, and I got credit. I could probably bet five or 10,000 if I wanted to on the game, but it's no. just never well, going to happen off, again. I'll tell you, when you get away from it, like, you know, you don't start betting a lot again. You know, you don't, it's just not an interest. you're not watching it, right? you know, really in my case anyway, you know, I used to like to just watch every game on every channel, but, right. but when you're not betting and you're not watching, you know, you don't really care that you're not betting. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, I, I, if you don't, you know what, I, and you'll probably agree with me, if you don't go looking for a bet, it's a lot easier to find a winner if, than if you're looking to bet a game to be in action. Would you, would you agree with that? Like, it seems like if I never look to make a bet, but I'm home and I want to bet like, well, this is the first bet I've made and I couldn't tell you how long, but if let's just say you want to make a bet on a game of football. I mean, you just can't be betting thousands and then chasing them for thousands. Like, like we used to do. I mean, it just, that's just could never happen. Maybe again. You can't, you can't beat it. And, uh, I know you can't you beat know, it. That I know year in and year out. And every year before the football season would start, I'd always say, I wish I could just get juiced out for the year. You know, I had so much fun watching <laughs> betting all these games. If I just lost the juice, which is somehow to be a pretty good amount, but it, Me it's too. in comparison to what I would lose normal. You know, the, you know I used and, to tell the people all the time, you know, they would always, I'm sure they mean, uh, I know me, you probably got a dollar five. We both got a dollar five because we never won, but uh, they could give us plus a dollar five. And I don't think we yeah. could have ever won. I still wouldn't win. <laughs> me neither. Was, me neither. They used to say I was the worst anyway, in history. The only reason I talk about it, I'm not proud of it, obviously. I'm not either. I'm not either. But I just want to, I just hope people that listen, uh, the people who have been down that road like me and you, right. will take a step back. And if they're starting to bet too much or do some other things, other bad habits, a little bit too much, that they'll step back and uh, maybe take a different path. Well, that's because uh, you, you, you don't have you don't have to go broke if you're smart. You've made a lot of money and you make a million dollar score and you do some smart things. But uh, believe me, if you're gambling in the pit. If you're right. doing drugs, if you're drinking too much, right. if you're betting sports, if you're doing all that kind of stuff, I don't care how much money you have, you can go broke. Right, and and that's why I brought it up because I want people out there to know uh, that are listening to the show, younger kids that 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 think that are well, that are probably they probably not think they're good, that they are good, and then the next thing you know, they're going to the strip bars, just betting sports, drinking, going to the pit. I don't. I just want don't want to see people go down the road. I want people to hear from people like me and you that have been down that road that have that have just made a lot of mistakes. And unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it took later in our lifetime to to realize the mistakes we made. And hopefully, yeah, no, I, I credit know. the young guys way way more than the older generation of players because right. most of the older players, as you know, were gamblers at heart. Oh yeah, they bet on everything, whether it be the horses, the pit, sports, golf course. But nowadays, players they don't do that. They're, most of them are pretty smart about it. Uh, I think some of them drink a little bit too much. That's probably the biggest problem that I see. But 
I don't see him wandering into the pit like it, you know, like most of us did back in the old days. Yeah, that's the only thing I never did was go into the pit. I just did the. Yeah, I was never a big pit player either, but I did do some, but right. uh, not like many. But as you know, back in the early days of the World Series of Poker, they only had the World Series of Poker because they invited gamblers to come out there. Right. And they'd play a lot more in the pit. So uh, that's how the World Series was created. It wasn't their love of poker. Right. It was because uh, it was an old. A gambler's reunion, basically, is what it was, and it worked out well for Benyons in the World Series. And uh, obviously, all of us today that are in the poker world need to credit not only Jack Benyon and the Benyons, but all those guys that put their 10000 up back in those days uh, to play a poker tournament against all pretty tough players. So, uh, you know, I, I think that young players need to credit older generations of players. I, I uh, say this all the time. It's one of my biggest pet peeves is when – People say bad things about whether it's me or Phil or whoever, uh, you know, Ivy or whoever back in the days. They don't. And I, and I came after after your generation and you people don't realize how hard we worked, even at the beginning of the World Poker Tour, when there was uh, like you were showing me a picture the other day of the first uh, party poker a million or the one the party poker that we did the cruise on. And then yeah. that, I think that was like. We did the uh, World Poker Tour was the first event was like right after that. And there was like 25 of us, then 50 of us, then 75. Then, and people don't realize that we were like all playing all the good players, trying to build the tour up, trying to build poker to where it is today, where I credit your vision and Phil Hummy's vision. But we all worked so hard. And I just wish, and I, me and Phil talked about it a lot, and I've, I've brought it up a lot. I just wish the younger generation would, would sometimes walk up and say, thank you to you to me to phil to realize instead of knocking people and saying oh phil helmuth can't play a lick anymore meanwhile he's still winning bracelets meanwhile i go to the world series and i'm i'm still crushing it but they they just want to be haters and knock people and i just don't think it's right i just think in every like you know and you could say poker's a sport you could you don't have to say it's a sport but in, whether it, you think it is or not you, you got to respect the generations that came before you that put in the work to give these people the ability to make a living if because there wouldn't be if it wasn't for you for phil for daniel me uh doyle and you can name you know so many yeah more. i mean you know even though we've been around a long time, you look at the guys that came ahead of us, they used to play the, the road down in Texas, you know, right. where they're going to get hijacked and robbed and cheated. Right. And now these guys get to play in lavish casinos for multi-millions of dollars all the time in these tournaments now, and it just wouldn't have happened had it not progressed uh, with those guys that played in the 70s and then those of us that came up in the 80s and the 90s as well, right. and then television kicking in in the 2000s. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a a... It was step by step that it took place, but it took all those steps to make poker what it is today, for sure. Absolutely. Now, you know, you've you've because you're you're a commentator on the World Poker Tour, you get to really get a a vision of old school players against new school players. And I have this ongoing feud with uh, a lot of people when I get on their case because they always say, well, uh, this ace blocks this and this 10 blocks this, so that makes less chance. that I'm like, I, 
you either look the guy in the face and he has you beat or he doesn't. I They're like making this whole thing about block this and block that. I go, blockers don't work in PLO. How the fuck are they going to work and hold them? But they they, they they say it over and over. And, and Daniel was on some podcast the other day saying that I don't know basic math in No Limit Hold'em. And I'm like, uh, no, because I'm not going to try and figure out if uh, – if he has a 10 because I had a 10 and this guy threw away a queen and this, this whatever. So, Hey, look, I, I respect those guys that uh, do the GTO and do right. all the stuff and put in all the work. And I know, do too. Nobody has more respect than me. Anybody that can play tournament poker and make a living today, I know how tough it is. So I salute <laughs> all of them. But I agree. But I know this, that I would say 70 to 80% of the time when you play a tournament, no limit hold them, uh, you either go out on a race normally. That's what happens most all the time. Right. To me. The most players, I don't care how great they are, who they are, doesn't matter. They got to win races to win tournaments. Yeah. And, and the good players try and get there without playing any races. Like, you know, yeah, uh, I, 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 when I was no, I agree. deep in the WPT and the LAPC a month ago, I, I never played one race the entire tournament but it was also really well structured where it was our first day 90 minutes second day two hours third and fourth so it was almost like the world series so where you you were deep you didn't have to you know i was like starting day 457 big blinds deep two hour levels you know you could just be patient and you know kind of play a little yeah. bit nitty no, and uh, as you know we all know Phil, how much he doesn't like to play big pots. He likes a small ball and right. play small pots. And, Me neither. And uh, you remember in the old days uh, uh, when Hoyt Corkins would raise him all in all the time, and it just drove him crazy. Right. Uh, because he didn't want to play the big bets. And, you know, now it's funny. When I was down in Rio, me and Bobby Baldwin and Phil Helmuth and Rob Young and Ben Lamb yeah, told me and Isildur, Victor Bloom, Warren Les, we're all sitting around, and we, we, we all night we were at the bar one night. Right. And everybody was drinking a lot. And the bet came up between Helmuth and Rob Young. He told me about uh, to this play a heads-up match. Right. And uh, Rob wanted to play it for a million. And then Helmuth agreed he'd play five matches for a hundred thousand each, heads right. up and no limit hold'em. Right. So they sort of struck on and agreed to it. And and then Rob said to me, "There, do you think it'll ever happen?" I said, "No, I don't think it's going to happen because schedule conflicts and time to play them and all this and that will come up with Phil and the structure and blah blah blah." And then finally, they just cemented it the other day. I saw. I saw it on Twitter that they're going to now play, and uh, it's five one hundred thousand dollar heads up uh, freeze outs, and it's a hundred thousand each. So if somebody would scoop, they'd win five hundred thousand, and and now it's 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 going to get done. So, uh, but that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, because they play different styles. Phil's going to want to play small ball, but Rob is just going to put continuous pressure on it. And right. but you know how. Yeah, it comes out. That's what we wanted to talk about. So, okay, I, I heard about Phil was telling me something about the, a match. I didn't know the whole details of it, but you know as well as I do how good Phil reads cards. These people who like to, you know, Phil. Yes, does Phil make a lot of fundamental mistakes a lot of time? Yes, he does. But his reading abilities is second to none, and uh, and uh, people don't understand the good things he does. And we're not going to go out and tell everybody what the good things he does, but you know how good Phil reads cards, right? I mean, yeah, I agree with that, but I also know Rob Young a little better than you do. Yeah, I don't and know him at all. This guy plays the highest stakes cash games in the world. Oh, wow. And travels the world to play him with the Triton uh, Party Poker just uh, – 
partnered up, incidentally, uh, uh, with the Triton Poker Tour right. and their festivals and the big events. And, you know, they have really big cash games. I mean, really big. It always yeah, stops, and Rob's right in the middle of it. And he loves playing deep stack poker uh, because he knows he can put a lot of pressure on guys on the river uh, when they still have a lot of chips left as to whether they can call or so not, th- you know. So, yeah, I'm telling you, it's not a walk in the park for Helmut. Okay, but is it, is it going to be a tournament structure or a cash game structure where the limit That's stays? How they start with a hundred big blinds. Blinds start out at five hundred a thousand, and they raise them. Originally, it was set for fifty minutes, but Rob told me the other day they'd shorten that. So right. I don't know if it's forty minutes or thirty minutes or, or whatever it is, but if, it's been shortened. If it's a tournament uh, it's format, fifty minutes yeah. playing heads up is an eternity. Believe me. Oh, believe That's me, I know. I mean, it, uh, it, just when we used to do NBC Head Up, I think there were 20 minutes, and that was an eternity, or 30 minutes, 30 yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, playing so yeah, Heads Up, obviously, you get out so many more hands, so right. you don't need as long a structure as you do during a regular tournament with a ring game. Right, and I, I think I think if they lowered the, 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 the structure, like, like they bring it to 30 minutes, I think, and they ra- keep raising it, that's going to favor Phil. But if it's... Like like you said, forty five or fifty minutes. Uh, that's an eternity and head up, and and I think you're probably right. And I don't. I've never seen the other guy yeah. play. I just know that if it's it's a tournament structure where the blinds are going up, and he's playing against a guy who plays cash games all the time, it's definitely would f- favor Phil. But if it's fifty minutes, that's like you said, that's an eternity, and and, and I don't yeah. know the other players. So it's going to be fun and. Uh... Uh, Rob will put the needles in him too if he gets ahead or gets him down a game or so, and, and you know it'll be interesting to see how Helen handles that. So yeah, and uh, the- it's definitely going to be something fun to watch uh, if and when it comes off, and I'm sure that it will come off because now they said it again and it came out on Twitter the other day, so oh. I can't see it not happening. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun. But it's going to be fun. Anything Phil Phil does is fun. The mouthpiece. Thanks for listening to part one. Episode 3 of The Mouthpiece. Tune in tomorrow for part 2, episode 3. The Mouthpiece.